2: Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio.
3: Well, if you're like me, you are wondering what in the world went down in that post office parking lot in Farmington yesterday afternoon at about three thirty, where a driver uh, wound up getting shot. Uh, We've got five police officers in Farmington with Farmington PD now on administrative leave as a standard operating procedure when an officer involved incident happens and we're going to take a deep dive into what we know, what we don't know and how long these officers may be on leave, Dave. Yeah,
4: three miles from my house. Is that what it was? Three miles. Yes, uh, this is a community that we're very close with. Uh, Farmington uh, does not see this kind of thing happen very often. Very quiet town. It's 908. It's time for the launch.
5: Sequence engaged. And here
4: are three things the Debbie wants you to know.
3: Countdown three. Now we're going to head to southern Utah where teachers are bristling after an email was sent from the district. Reminding them that if you're stressed out at work, you cannot take a, air quote, mental health day. At least you can't use the mental health day excuse to use up one of your sick days.
6: Mental health is an issue for educators. We are tremendously burdened with expectations. So the bigger question is what can we do to improve both for students and for the educators who are serving?
4: And we'll hear more from that second grade teacher a little later in the show, but we've made a ton of progress in the area of mental health at the workplace. But sometimes does it feel like we're just finding excuses not to go to work? Like you've got sick days, vacation days, mental health days, Company holidays, state and federal holidays, observed cultural days. Like, If I'm an employer, at some point I'm like, are we just going to have somebody show up? You know, maybe, just to work? You know, maybe?
6: Countdown to...
3: 10 o'clock hour, we're going to get KSL Television's investigative reporter, Matt Gephardt, on the show with us. Uh, Because I, I actually hadn't really thought of this, but when you die your debt, specifically your medical debt, does not necessarily die with you. At least it does in some states, but not in Utah. So imagine losing your spouse and then getting slapped with a massive medical bill. I was trying to grieve the loss of my husband. And it's so
4: difficult to grieve when you have the the guillotine of death, of debt, just hanging over you. It's such a I don't know what the right answer is, though, because we're all going to end up in the hospital and we're all going to die. So you just wipe that away. I don't know if that's fair to the the hospitals, the nurses and the doctors that treat you at the end of your life.
3: Launch countdown one. Our top story is we're pushing for more details this morning on what went down inside that blue sedan in the post office parking lot in the small community of Farmington. The story begins when a police officer makes a traffic stop, and it ends in the death of the driver, the chief of police speaking to the press yesterday.
7: That's how we train, and I know my guys, and if they fired shots, I'm certain they were in fear of their life.
4: Yeah, Farmington, about 24,000 people, very small community. And you have one of these small police departments, a relatively small police department, It's important to dive in and find out, is the training there? Are they prepared? Do they know what to do? And was this kind of force appropriate?
3: Dave and Dijanovic.
2: The launch. commenced. Dave and Dijanovic. Dave and Dijanovic. Special coverage of the top local story.
3: If you watch KSL 5 television's report on this, like I did, you see video of the car. The sedan. And I counted could be anywhere from seven to eight bullet holes in the passenger side, both the front and back windows.
7: We had an officer uh, make the proverbial routine traffic stop. The purpose of the stop is the car didn't have a plate on it. And a short time after that, uh, the officer called out over the radio that shots had been fired.
3: That's the chief of police of the Farmington Police Department. He now has five officers that have been placed per protocol on administrative leave. We don't know how long they'll be on administrative leave, but for perspective, that is 20% of their police force. Adam
4: Small from KSL News Radio joins us this morning. Adam, uh, do we have any additional details that you were able to learn this morning about this shooting?
8: Yeah, Dave, Debbie, this morning uh, we're really going off of the, the police's official statement. So they're saying that it, the, the whole how this escalated, there's still questions in the air for sure. But what police are saying is basically they pull over this car. They're saying that didn't have plates. They say officers at some point in this interaction with this driver who is now identified as 25-year-old Chase Allen. We now know the man's name who ended up dying at an area hospital after the shooting happened. They're saying that officers asked him to get out of the car. They're saying he refused. They said during an attempt to remove him from the vehicle, that's when shots were fired. The driver was injured. They rendered medical aid. So at some point in this interaction, they're saying, that he was just being noncompliant and that he would not get out of the car. And at some point, officers felt they needed to, to use their guns. That's the, the information we're really learning this morning.
3: OK, but um, Adam, I don't want you to back up a, just a bit on this, because I, in reading um, the news stories and the press release, uh, listening to the chief of police's words from yesterday, I'm still not clear that we know for sure who fired the shots, only that the driver wouldn't get out of the car according to police and that there was some sort of an attempt to remove him and that shots were fired at that time. But I can't garner for sure. And maybe you have more information about this as to whether maybe the, you know, officer's gun was grabbed by the driver. The driver had a gun with him or was it the officer who discharged his firearm?
8: All great questions, Debbie. And unfortunately at this point, it's, it's all, um, they they don't specify whether the the driver had a gun or if he reached or anything like that. All we know is that, and and we don't even know for sure if all five of these officers on leave all discharged their weapons. All they say is that um, five officers are on leave and that 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 they did fire shots or at least somebody fired shots. So that there's still a lot of good questions that we are investigating and that need to be answered. Um, and also something I've been noticing, too, in the release from the police is that they don't refer to uh, the, the driver, Chase Allen, as a suspect in any way. They always refer to him as the driver of the vehicle. So there, there's a chance. I mean, we don't know, like, that yeah. necessarily means like, he may have not done anything wrong at all. But there's still a ton, of, a ton of questions that we need to answer. Do
4: we know if the Farmington Police Department wears uh, body cameras? Is that something standard? Do we know?
8: Um, It's a little unclear. I mean, I have had maybe an interaction or two, and I do believe they do, but I mean, don't quote me, but I think it's pretty standard for most police officers nowadays to wear them and, it, it that will be something we'll continue to look into as
3: well. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll be asking those questions as well as the day progresses. Adam Small will let you jump off the line and continue digging for answers. Uh, straight ahead, we're going to get K- KSL legal analyst Greg Scordis to join our conversation. I-, I just have a list of questions, as I know you do too, Dave, for Greg Um, first of all, I mean, I want to get with Greg and see, you know, like in terms of the number of bullet holes that I'm seeing, is this unusual? Um, it looked like there's seven, perhaps as many as eight, just on the one passenger side. Um, of the car. And then with 20% of the Farmington PD's workforce now on administrative leave, that leads them, I mean, my calculation is what, 20 officers? Yeah,
4: Yeah, exactly. And what happens now when you're so Right.
3: Yeah. How long does this investigation go on? and, And do these police officers who are on administrative leave, are they compelled to speak to investigators? These are all great questions. Dave and
2: Dave and Special coverage of the top local story.
3: Dave, how big did you say uh, the population is in, um, or large it is in Farmington? About 25,000 okay. people. So think of it this way. Farmington Police Department is down 20% of its police force this morning. They have five officers on administrative leave, potentially from for many, 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 many days ahead because of the shooting of a driver who was pulled over for not having a license plate,
7: Uh, the chief after that deadly shooting. That's how we train. And I know my guys. And if they fired shots, I'm certain they were in fear of their life.
4: Debbie, when you talk about losing 20% of the police force, how does that get made up? Because you still have patrols, uh-huh. vacations, uh-huh. sick days, all sorts of things going on. You lose 20% of your staff. How long would you expect them back? Because if I'm Farmington, the the 25,000 people that are there, I'm I'm scratching my head a little bit thinking are is there going to be enough Cops around my. Well,
3: if they've lost, if they've sent five home on administrative leave, and that's twenty percent, which is standard, right? Yeah, administrative leave standard. But let's do the math on this. The the five the 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 five who are gone, and it's twenty percent. Does that mean they have twenty officers?
4: Yeah, they have twenty left of the twenty five. Yeah.
3: So the question then is, like you said, where do they get their officers? They could reach out to the county sheriff and ask them to supply um, some resources to them uh, for backup. Uh, they could also cancel vacation time. Um, they could draw on their current officers to stay on overtime shifts to make, make sure that the residents of Farmington have the patrols that they need. It's not unusual to reach out to other police agencies for assistance, but how long can that go on if this investigation goes on and on and on? Greg Scordis good morning. Good morning,
9: you
8: guys.
3: I'm trying to remember the longest police officer involved shooting investigation, which is very typical, right? I mean, the investigators come together, they they enact a protocol where they then investigate whether the officer's use of force was, um, was appropriate, appropriate. Justified. thank justified. you, justified. That's the word I'm looking for. And I think the longest one was more than a year more than a year it wasn't in davis county but it was in salt lake county so what what are you thinking in terms of this case with five officers now on admin leave and a whole bunch of bullet holes and and a and a dead a dead driver
9: yeah i mean that's a good question davis county uh, typically will work on a, a little bit of a faster track than salt lake county you know, for no particular reason but i expect that troy Rawlings, the davis county attorney is already Uh, working on this case. And maybe he uh, can uh, finish his investigation, at least as it relates to one or two of the officers, because it looked like there were eight shots fired. And it's not clear whether those were fired by one, two or five of the officers. Uh, So those that maybe hadn't fired may be cleared a little bit sooner, if that makes any sense, and get that department back up to speed.
4: Greg, walk us through uh, some of the reasoning behind the administrative leave and uh, how far that reaches.
9: Yeah, that's a good question. So it, it's really protocol. It's a protocol that's been adopted throughout the state. And it it, it what it says is that when an officer is involved in a critical incident, use of force, and it doesn't necessarily even require a death, but when the officer draws a weapon and fires a weapon or uses other deadly force, They'll be placed on paid administrative leave during the investigation. And the reason for that is because the investigation needs to sort of go on in a vacuum. The officer can't be working and talking to other officers. So they want to sequester everybody, so to speak, so that they can conduct the investigation. And like Debbie said, these can take a long time. I mean, we've had them go for a year or longer, but the officers have to sit tight and it's very frustrating for the officers. You think that you know their home and they're getting paid for not working. But these officers uniformly will say, I wish I was back to work because it's frustrating not knowing what's going on. But it just it just makes the investigation more clean and, and and it preserves the integrity of it.
3: As I listened to the statements from the chief of police and I read the press release and looked at other you know news reports about yesterday's incident, which, by the way, if you're just joining us, we're talking about an officer involved incident. It happened in Farmington. In the post office parking lot, when an officer sees um, a car apparently without a license plate, pulls the blue sedan over. That's how the story begins. How it ends is with the death of the driver. He was the only occupant in the vehicle. And as I look at the vehicle and I see seven to eight bullet holes, Greg, I, I just, I, I don't know for sure who fired those shots. I, it, it may very well have been the officer. It could have been the driver who got a hold of the officer's gun as the officer reaches in the car to to uh, help the driver exit the vehicle because they said he was noncompliant. It could be that the driver brought a gun and had one in the, in the glove box. We, we just don't know.
9: Right. And what they'll do, Debbie, is, and you've been involved in these before too, is they will go to the officers and they will seize each of their weapons they will take those weapons and sort of do a download. And from that, they can determine how many rounds were fired because they know how many rounds are in the gun when the officer started his or her duty. But like, usually you would have, like, 14 rounds in your, in your weapon. So they take the gun and it's got 12 rounds left. You can assume that that particular officer fired off two. I know it's not that easy, but that's what they're doing right now. They've seized every gun that they found there from all five officers and, like you say, from the... Suspect, if he had one, and they're going through Mm. trying to determine which weapon was used and which weapons actually fired off a round or two.
4: Are the officers required to speak to investigators about what happened?
9: There's there's a thing called Garrity, which requires that they that they have to talk to the agency, and well, if they don't, then they could be terminated. But Garrity is is something that says that an officer, if they do talk, they are they say cannot be used against them in a criminal context because they're sort of forced to to give a statement. I know I haven't answered your question very well, but th- it's part of their job to give a statement, and if they say, "I'm not giving a statement, then they're terminated. they can't work. so they can they can sort of protect themselves a little bit by saying, "I'll give a statement, but it can't be used against me in a potential criminal prosecution.
3: So let's say that this is just a what if this is not justified? then how in the world, explain to us how in the world prosecutors build a case if the officer's statements are protected?
9: Um, they've got to do their own independent investigation. They've got to look at it like any other homicide case and, and look at the, the extrinsic evidence and not the officer's individual statement. Now, that doesn't mean that other officer statements can't be used against a particular officer. So, if officer A isn't isn't going to be charged his or her statement could be used against officer B who whose statements are protected if that makes any sense so, so the state could still build a case and decide how to prosecute the case um it's 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 just like any other in investigation where people may or may not give a statement to the police
3: right and but if they don't they're not compelled to make a statement but if they decide not to participate in the investigation by offering a statement they could potentially be dismissed from the force.
9: Exactly right. They could be, they could, because they're required to, or or their job could be at jeopardy and they could say, well, well, then if you're not going to cooperate in this investigation, you don't get to work here anymore. And our officers sometimes will make that decision if they think that they have some criminal culpability. And that's why we lawyers get called out for, for these officers once in a while is to advise them whether or not it's in their best interest to make a statement or not.
4: Remind us quickly, uh, when a police officer is authorized to pull a driver over, and then when they're authorized to use deadly force.
9: They're, They're authorized to use deadly force to the extent necessary to prevent another's use of deadly force against them or another person. So if the officer felt that their particular life was in jeopardy, or the life of another person, including the other officers, by the occupant of the vehicle, they're allowed to use deadly force it's it's what we call our self-defense statute or defense of Mm -hmm. others but they can only do that if they have a legitimate reasonable fear and they're going to look at all the evidence and say should did that officer at that moment when he or she pulled the trigger have a fear in their heart that they needed to do that to save the life of another person or themselves
3: and and greg uh, just give us a, a just a yes or no on this one is a no-license plate a, a reasonable a reason to pull um, for a police officer to pull a driver over?
9: It absolutely is. It doesn't happen a lot, but it's a perfectly acceptable reason.
4: Yes. Greg a KS.
3: If you're a teacher in Washington County, uh, that's the St. George area down south, and you need to take a mental health day, School district wants to remind you that you cannot use a sick day for a mental health day. If you want to take a mental health day, you have to use one of your four days of personal leave. Yeah,
4: that didn't go over super well with the teachers. (laughs) Like, if you need a mental health day, folks, you can't use a sick day. Uh, Kind of, right? That's how they heard it. That's how the email was interpreted. But, I mean, let's be honest. The mental health day, sick days, there's a pretty common joke, right? Is this really a sick day or is this just a sick of work day?
3: Can can I read you the email? We've got a copy of it here. I'm holding it in my left hand. It goes out from the HR Executive Director, Executive Director of Human Resources for the Washington County School District. And it says at the top, please share this email with your staff. We are concerned with a trend of using sick leave to take a, and, and in quotes, much needed break from the stresses of work. Employees often refer to it as a, in quotes, mental health day. Re- regretfully, the, in quotes, mental health day reasoning is a misconception among some employees. Cannot use sick leave to get away from the stresses of work and enjoy some time off. They can use personal leave for that purpose.
4: Yeah, Amy Barton uh, is a teacher, a second grade teacher in Washington County. She's the president of the Washington County Education Association. And uh, I asked her, what what was your reaction when they sent out the email?
6: I, I was a little frustrated by the tone because immediately we started hearing from members who were understandably confused and upset But I know that the intent was to clarify that that sick days can't be used essentially as vacation days or as stress relief days on the job. They can be used as mental health days if the employee is experiencing mental health difficulties and working with their physician to address those.
4: And that was an important part of the story was if you're working with a physician and you really are struggling with depression, anxiety, something uh, you're working with a doctor or a mental health uh, provider, if you're working, they will allow you to have a mental health day. But it almost needs to be doctor re- recommended, right? You need permission. You need a doctor's note. And and I asked her, I said, Do you think that this email had to come out because people were abusing the system?
6: There had to have been some cases of misuse in order for this email to be triggered. Do I wish that those had been addressed individually? And I assume that they were. Yeah, that's always the better way than sort of a scattershot into the flock.
4: Yeah. (laughs) You send out an email like a... a reply all or to send this to all employees
3: please share this email with your staff <laughs> so can, did did you read the last paragraph the yes the last yeah uh, the the hr director i'm just i'm just to say it like it like it reads to me he, he calls on teachers to tattle on other teachers <laughs> is, that, is that a good way of putting it let me read it out loud we ask you to help us by reporting sick leave abuse and avoiding the temptation to use it for anything other than qualified health care needs. We ask you to help us by reporting sick leave abuse. Making a tattletale out of all the teachers.
4: Snitches get stitches.
3: Isn't mental health health? Yes. Okay. I think we've established that. It's taken us a long time, yeah. it's taken us my entire career. To establish mental health as health. But
4: let's let's be honest. There are parameters, right? And just like there's a time if you wake up in the morning and you have a slight headache, take some Tylenol, get to work.
3: What? Right? I almost... Took a sick day today because I woke up with a massive headache. this Okay, morning. that's fine. I think it's that's... I think it's bordering right now on a migraine. <laughs> okay, no, I mean it. Okay.
4: Listen, and you're laughing. If you have a migraine, awesome. Take the day off. Okay. If I, <laughs> I said if you wake up with a little headache, if I stub my toe, I can show up to work. Right? It's taking advantage of the system. If every time you feel less than hundred percent, you're like, well, today is the sick day. But
3: don't they have to provide a doctor's note or something down there yeah. as a teacher in the Washington County If you're a teacher district?
4: and you're an adult and your employer asks you for a doctor's note, how do you feel about
3: that? Yeah, you know how I feel about that. I
6: was able recently to get a doctor's note just from telehealth. So it wasn't too hard. That note just says that you were seen or are under the care of the physician and... This is the return date, and they'll put the date. It doesn't share the specifics of why you're being seen.
4: Now, part of the reason that the school district is kind of cracking down on the sick days is because they don't budget for sick days. Right? They, they give you your personal days, they figure that into the budget, but they don't expect everybody to use those 10 sick days. Um, If they did, there's 1,500 teachers down in the Washington County School District. That would be 15,000 sick days if everybody Mm -hmm. used everything. If they used all 10 of their sick days, that would be 15,000 sick days in a school
3: year. Do, Do we want a teacher who's experiencing a momentary mental health situation to not call in sick? Or to not feel like they can take the day off? Personally, my feeling is if a teacher is having a mental health issue or feels as though they're just so weighted down by everything that a day away from the kids, the classroom, from handing out tests, from collecting papers, from keeping kids in line, from answering to administrators, to reading wild emails from the HR department, that's okay. Why not just allow them to do that where they have to qualify whether it's a sick day or not a sick day? Why do we overcomplicate this?
4: Well, I think because at some point you have to be able to expect your employee to show up. Your job is going to be stressful. Just because you're a school teacher does not mean you, you are the only person that is experiencing stress on the job. And let's not forget this teachers are. Are contracted for 183 days a year. 183 days on, 182 days off. The average person works 260 days. So they already
3: have a built in buffer. There's a lot of days off. Do you you think they work on weekends though, like grading papers, or do you think they just blow that off? Do you think they work at night grading papers, or do you think they just blow that off?
4: Do you ever work outside
3: of your All regularly the time. scheduled All hours? The time.
4: Yeah, that's what we do.
3: Okay. But sometimes you might need a break. Is it not a mental health day for a teacher? Okay. I feel like this email shamed these teachers for taking a mental health day or shamed everybody like Amy Barton teach second grade teacher, Amy Barton said like they 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 fired into the flock when maybe they just needed to address one or one or two teachers who are abusing the system.
4: My feeling is whenever I hear criticism, if the criticism doesn't apply to me, I'm not offended. Usually I'm
3: offended when I'm guilty. I like what the HR director wrote at the top of the next email. <laughs> there was another email that went out. Should we talk about that in a moment? Sure. Okay. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's take phone calls. Dave,
2: Dave and the janitor. Janitor.
3: I can see your point of view. Some of you are saying, "Like, look, look, teachers get several weeks off in the summer. Uh, they get a holiday break. Uh, they get a spring break. And so if they're having a mental health crisis in the middle of February after they've dug themselves out of four feet of snow around their home and they've gotten to the school and they're dealing with rowdy kids and and." bad parents, and an administration that's leaning on them, why in the world would they have a mental health crisis then? I mean, they just had three months off last summer. You see where I'm coming from on this? When you're having a mental health moment and you need time away from the workplace, it doesn't matter if you had three months of vacation, three weeks of vacation, seven months ago. What matters is you're having a hard time right now. I think teachers deserve to have a mental health day without having to explain it to the boss.
4: I don't think teachers have a monopoly on stress. You and I show up to work you know, every day, and there's stresses in our job. I mean, your co-host is the worst. Like you have to deal with that guy every single day. There's a lot of stress in there. If you're having a genuine mental health crisis, absolutely, go get your help. Uh, If you need to take some time off, that is totally fine. And the Washington County School District does allow that. If you're working with a mental health professional, if you're working with your doctor and they say you need some time off, they allow for that. You can use sick days for that. I think what they're saying is if you've got a little stress, if you would like to have the day off, if it would be nice, uh, you can't use a sick day for that. If it's crucial then you can.
3: Uh, This is happening in uh, southern Utah, in the St. George area, like Dave and I have been saying. And an email went out. Dave, when I'm explaining the emails to those that are just tuning in, why don't you tee up some of those phone calls that we're getting right now? 801-575-TALK. Should teachers be allowed to take a mental health day? The first email goes out from the HR department saying, we're concerned with a trend of using sick leave to take a – quote, much-needed break from all the stresses of work. Employees often refer to it as a, quote, mental health day. Regretfully, the, quote, mental health day reasoning is a misconception among some employees. Well, guess what? There's some backlash, and then there's a follow-up email that goes out, and it begins like this. I would like to apologize for the tone of my original email about abuse of sick leave and mental health days. It was not my goal To make anyone feel like their mental health was not important, nor to hurt morale among our staff members.
4: Let's jump out to the phone lines right now. Todd in Weber County. Todd, what do you think about mental health days for teachers?
1: Well, uh, I have a wife who teaches first grade, and I've seen some of the issues that you're referring to. But honestly, there's a lot of pressure from administrators. There's a lot of pressure from parents. Um. There's parents who don't directly deal with the teacher. They complain to the administration. And so these teachers are under a lot of different um, stressors. The kids are disruptive. They come to school not prepared. They come in, and they make the classroom difficult for these teachers. It's no wonder why these teachers are having mental breakdowns. There's, There's just things coming at them from every direction, and I feel bad for them. And I can see why teachers only last five years on average in the state of Utah.
3: Todd, let me ask you this. When you were describing the pressures from administration and parents, I thought if if your wife or another teacher has 30 kids in their class and they have two parents who are involved uh, right there, that's basically 90 customers all at once that they're trying to deal with between the parents and the kids. And then you throw on top of that the administration and then any other outside forces. And I wonder if any of us at any one time in a given week could deal with that many people
1: Definitely I mean my my wife um, has a parent teacher conference this week and so she's you know listening to all these parents and they come in and she's talking about students who have over a, a third of the year already that have been missed and the parents don't understand that these kids are behind already because of covid and then they're not even bringing them to school and then they wonder why these kids are failing in essence because they're not in the classroom and it's a huge stress because my wife is held accountable for what she teaches and for what the schools are teaching. And so it's important for students to be in a classroom, to have the support of parents, for these parents to understand that your your child can't learn if they're not in the classroom, that these, these teachers have all these pressures and all these metrics and things they have to meet. They're constantly testing these students to to make sure they're meeting state standards. And so I I feel for these teachers. I really do. And I can see why some of them we, my wife's even had teachers leave this year for this very issue. Within the first two or three weeks of school, she had two teachers quit over stress.
4: Hmm. Todd, we appreciate your phone call. Thank you. I wonder if the system is broken, Deb. I wonder if this old school system of vacation days and then sick days Good point. is broken. Maybe we it's just all need... broken
3: up into separate categories, yeah, you... and you have to make an excuse that you have a, a slight sore throat in order to use a sick day versus a, per, a vacation day. Yeah. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah.
4: There is a trend personal time off, where they just give you a number of days. Mm. You can use them for vacation. You can use them for personal days. Love you it. can use them for six days, sick days. Whatever the excuse is, we don't care. This is how many days you get. Do
3: you need a doctor's note?
4: No. Not. Not with PTO. Not with PTO. So, you can just yeah. take the day off. No excuse. Just these are the days you get.
3: I don't know what is standard operating procedure for teachers, but what if it were during, you know, you know, you have those vacation. Oh, I know this. What is, oh, go ahead. Okay. So a teacher
4: gets, at least in the Washington school district, they get two days off. Okay. Two personal days off.
3: During the school year. During
4: the school year. You can get two more, but you basically have to pay for the substitute. (laughs) So you get Stop. 4 days. Stop it. But only 2 of them are free.
3: So it just comes out of your paycheck? Yeah, it does. Oh, no. Yep, it totally no. this it's, is, that's it's a,
4: about 100 bucks.
3: Dave, you missed the big headline in this interview with this <laughs> with with the teacher, second grade teacher. They have to pay for their own substitutes
4: for the third and fourth <laughs> personal days. Oh. So you've got 10 sick days oh. that you can use over the school year.
3: And have never you take heard a sick of sick day a thing.
4: That's free. Okay, you don't well, have to pay for the substitute.
3: So, so when you take a day off, we're going to start charging you to pay for your your, your substitute co host How would that feel? Substitutes are making what seventy five, a hundred bucks a day. That's just yeah. Wow, oh, I'd we, be
4: showing up. Do we
3: have more phone calls.
4: <laughs> yeah, Andy in Ogden. What do you think, Andy?
1: Um, hello. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Uh, well, I've I had a sister who actually lost a job due to some of the issues dealing with, um well i'm gonna i'm gonna put up my a crooked uh um partner that they worked with that lied about some situations and dealing with parents with uh things so she, that she dealt with so she was um, a teacher yes okay and you know i they deal with some extreme stressors from you know she dealt with special needs uh adults in a, in a well not adults but in, in a high school and there was some things going on with mm. between you know, allegations and whatnot that uh there was actually three of them that lost a job due to everything that that happened and and it, and it wasn't it didn't actually you know things didn't happen the proper proper way yeah and Andy, thank, uh, yeah, thank you. Sounds, Sorry,
4: we're we're yeah, running out of time complicated here. Complicated and stressful. Uh, but especially when you're talking about special needs teachers, you look at teachers' jobs in general. There's no question. There there's a lot of stress, um, but I think it's part of the reason why teachers work 183 days out of the year and not 260, which is average. Right, we don't we don't put them through the same schedule that the rest of us go through because I think we inherently understand how difficult that job is.
3: Stay tuned for Monday when our top story is that Utah school teachers have to pay for their own substitutes if they take one too many days off. Wow. That's shocking. Straight ahead, we're going to look at thirty-five dollar insulin. So, if you have diabetes, Dave and Dujanovic
2: special coverage of the top national story.
3: If you have diabetes, um, you know somebody who does. This is this this one's for you. I mean, Eli, Eli Lilly, um, major pharmaceutical manufacturer, cutting insulin prices by seventy percent. It'll now be capped at thirty-five dollars a day for many people with diabetes.
4: That's incredible news. That's outstanding news because obviously when you're a diabetic, you have to have insulin. You have to pay for it. No matter what the cost is, you just have to figure out a way. If it's going on a credit card, it's going on a credit card because you can't live without it. So to cap it at $35 must just be a, a wonderful thing. What were you for reporting
3: diabetics. just a few years ago that it was hundreds of dollars a month that People were having to come out of pocket on this, and then it—I think a lot of lawmakers started it to spiked, take, yeah, yeah—started to take notice, and it was that an EpiPens we were discussing because I have a um, reaction to bee stings, so I have to have one, and it was super expensive. So that was one of the things we started discussing many years ago. We also you and I started discussing um, insulin and the cost of insulin. Uh, if there's a win in having a disease, um, th- which there isn't, but if there were, this this would be it, $35. I wish it were free, but $35 is a lot better than the hundreds of dollars folks were spending.
4: Millions of Americans yeah. depend on insulin to survive. Joining us now, Ann Flaherty, senior national policy reporter for ABC News out of Washington. Ann, did this announcement... Uh, how much pressure, I guess, should I say, came from the White House uh, or Congress? Yeah, you
10: know I, know, I think everybody looks at this and goes, uh, OK, no drug maker does this out of the kindness of their heart. Right. Um, there has to be a catch. So, you know, of course, Eli Lilly says, you know, look, we've been looking at lowering the cost of insulin since 2016. We've been on this. But in twenty twenty one, there was a Senate investigation that really dug deep and, and found that the companies in general, there are basically only three makers, and Eli Lilly is one of them, and they were monitoring each other as, the, as uh, you know, each company raised their price, they too would raise their price. And it, w- it was almost the opposite of what you would expect um, in, in a capitalist system. So very, very frustrating. And I don't think that investigation got the attention that it should have because it was in the throes of the pandemic and we were all waiting on our vaccine. Uh, but, you know, fast forward to now, you have a president. He says he's running for for 2024. He's signed a bill into law that says he's not going to pay more than thirty five dollars a month for uh, insulin diabetic patients on Medicare. And then you saw this action from Eli Lilly. So. You know, I think what they're looking at is they're reading the tea lays, They know the pressure is there. And the White House is clearly wanting to make this a political issue ahead of the next election. So by doing this, what do they do? What do they get out of it? They avoid permanent regulation. That is probably the biggest payoff with this. They do not want Washington to start price-fixing drugs. Mm-hmm. They say that it, the drug industry in general says that's a very dangerous precedent to go down because they want to be able to charge high prices for certain drugs so they can reinvest that in development. So insulin, obviously a political uh, issue, they're going to take care of that, I think, in the hopes of dodging bigger uh, price fixes down the road.
3: Um, and I, I always feel like anytime I go to the pharmacy counter, it is price tag roulette uh, for my the drugs I use for my glaucoma. I cannot imagine and I you know, I don't need as much as many eye drops as, as folks need insulin who have diabetes so I cannot' imagine um, what people must be going through when they're paying hundreds of dollars a month and then the price tag just kept going up and up and up over the course of, I mean it's 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 just increased exponentially so this35 dollars cap in my view at least you know what what you're going to pay every month and you can budget
10: Yeah. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Their their most commonly used insulin product, uh, Humalog, it's raised more than a thousand percent over the past three decades. And keep in mind that this is a medication that was invented and somebody handed off the patent for $1. The person who invented it said, look, nobody should make any money off this because this is what people need to survive. And of course, that's not how it's worked out. So, you know, when you look at this and the the system that we have, and of course, Eli Lilly says, you know, it's not just us. The only thing we can do is set the list price. So we set the list price and then your insurance and the the pharmacy benefit managers, you know, the CVS care marks and all these, it's this convoluted system that then all of those costs, It added on and passed on to the consumer. So, you know, it is broken. It's a very broken system. But Congress has been looking at this for some time, and nobody can seem to agree on how to fix it. And in the meantime, what I find interesting is that a lot of Americans are going abroad. I mean, we hear people going to Canada to get their insulin. You can go to India for all sorts of medical, you know, operations and things like that. And and I've known people who've done it because it's just so much dramatically less. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, FDA saying don't get your medications from overseas because we don't check those pharmacies ourselves. Right. We can't certify them, but it's becoming commonplace.
3: Yeah, and I think, uh, Anne, thank you so much. That's Anne Flaherty from ABC News. She's live with us from Washington, D.C. on this announcement that Eli Will- Lilly is dropping insulin prices, capping them at $35. So, you know, there's no more price tag roulette. If you have diabetes.
4: Yeah. Do I think there's gouging that has gone on, especially for diabetics and insulin? There is no question. I also wonder how much money was made through insulin that has allowed for other Mm. cancer drugs to be developed or glaucoma medication or eczema medication. Whatever it might be, Uh, they are companies. And there are times when their research and development goes nowhere. They spend a ton of money, a billion dollars, trying to find a medicine that works, and it doesn't. So, this is a big win for diabetics, but it it became a political football. Insulin became a political football because you're not hearing this for cancer drugs. You're not hearing this for again your glaucoma medication. You will
3: though, I think, I think, and with Anne, what she said, I think companies are worried about regulation from D.C., and when they get scared of being regulated, they do things to make it so, you know, they look more kinder and gentler and more helpful to the people who have these diseases through no fault of their own. I mean, Eh.
4: some of these diseases are our fault. You think so? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's clearly... Like I can I can tell you not half, like half my half my health is my fault half my health issues are because uh, I I eat cheeseburgers, <laughs> right? Oh, I mean, so you're some saying it's how you
3: how you eat? Okay, yeah. So I don't know where I go from here with that.
4: No, I, I just just the fact that uh, we cannot look for the government to to come in sweep in and make us healthy through you know discounted insulin prices. You know. the... There, there's a symbiotic relationship where we're all trying to figure out how can we be healthy? How can we take care of the sick? What responsibility falls on us? How do we let these guys make money so they can keep well, making these drugs? Yeah, and It's make, not as easy as yeah, just saying, be, you know what, let's cap insulin at 35 bucks.
3: And it's also not as easy as everybody just stop eating cheeseburgers yeah. and you're going to get rid of your diabetes.
4: True. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's complicated. It, it's convoluted. But what I do know is because of the, the pharmaceuticals and the pharmaceutical injury, we've never had more medications to ease suffering and keep people alive and healthy in the history of the world. Like, let's, let's never forget the medicines that we have are miraculous. Absolutely incredible.
3: Straight ahead, I want to talk about death. Um, I want to talk about when you die and your medical debt, specifically your medical debt. It doesn't necessarily die with you. It can get passed on to the spouse who is still alive and grieving. I was trying to grieve the loss of my husband. Investigative reporter for KSL 5 television, Matt Gephardt, calling the show next to explain how one Utah lawmaker is trying to change that so grieving spouses don't have to foot the medical bill after their spouse passes. Dave, Dave
5: and the Genovec. Dave Genovec.
3: Um, so let's talk about death. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, when you well, kick, it's going to
4: happen to everybody. So. Right.
3: When you kick the bucket. Nobody's undefeated. Let's just say it. When you kick the bucket, your medical debt doesn't necessarily get buried with you. Um. Oh, Deb. <laughs> well, what do you want me to say? Like, let me just rip the band-aid off. This, this. This story is actually going to end very well. KSL 5 Television's Matt Gephardt ran into the studio to help walk us through what he found out because it's actually going to be some relief for the surviving spouse who can often get stuck with the medical debt. They were able to revive him,
6: but
7: he was brain dead. You may remember Luanda Davis. After her husband died, she got a bill from the hospital for 78000 bucks. Not her late husband's estate, mind you. The bill was transferred into her name. You would do anything to get another day with your spouse. It was the same story for Keith Ziprich, who's been fighting a bill from a debt collector ever since his wife passed away. She died penniless, so they are coming after him.
3: I was trying to grieve the loss of my
7: husband.
4: This This is a tough one, right? When your loved one is in the hospital fighting for their life, they pass away. What do you do with that medical debt that was accrued? And Matt Gephardt, who joins us right now, it sounds like
7: that bill gets passed on to the loved ones. It can. It uh, can. In, in Utah, the law is written in a way – this is a law that used to be the law of the land in the whole country. and It dates back to the 1600s before women were allowed to have debt, right? It was all families. Everything was family debt. Now, most debts are not considered to be family debt. Housing is family debt, but if you know you rack up a bunch of, of money on your credit card or whatever, uh, they can come after your estate, right? I mean, just because you racked up debt before you died doesn't mean the people who did the work or provided you the goods or services don't deserve to get paid, right? So they can come after your estate, but once that's gone, most laws and and most states in the in the country have have said we're we're not going to let the creditor go after another person who didn't accrue this debt. The debt dies with the person mm. who died. That is not the case for medical debt. So what happens when somebody dies in the state of Utah, hospitals, doctors, clinics have the ability to go after obviously the estate of the person who passed away. Okay. And if that doesn't happen, they can go after the surviving spouse. And we're not talking about uh you know just hey, can you pay please or what, it's it's they literally transfer the debt into their name. So medical bankruptcy, which is the number one cause of bankruptcy in the country, can not only impact the person who was sick, but in person, the, the person who had the unfortunate luck of loving them and marrying them during
3: their lifetime. And caring for them yep. um, in their final days. Yep. So there's a Utah lawmaker who's currently working to try to change this. We don't. It doesn't appear that I mean, we we're just hours away from the the last final minutes of the 2023 session. Nothing will happen with this in this session, but perhaps down
7: the road. Stephanie Pitcher is her name. She's a state senator. She introduced a bill. That basically would change the classification from a family expense for when it comes to medical debt. So, in other words, it would be the same rules that follow most kinds of debts in the country. Uh, it it a bill was marked up, it made it to a committee hearing. Um, it faced strong opposition from certain people in the medical community who argue, especially hmm. small clinics, don't really have the ability to just absorb this yeah. debt. Um, you know, if somebody gets sick in Vernal and and you know they're getting thousands and thousands of dollars worth of oncology bills, they don't necessarily have the ability to just absorb that. And so um, it was clear, uh, Miss Pitchers told, told us she was clear they didn't have the votes this time, so uh, they're going to study it. And she, she plans to bring it back next session um, and try to get Utah in line with kind of what is becoming a, a, the trend of the rest of the country state saying, let's not do it this way. Well,
4: and this is this is really a, a situation where I see both sides very, mm-hmm. very clearly because, uh, again, when you're talking about end-of-life care – it can cost, as you said, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Those nurses, the oncologists, the doctors, the specialists—they're all doing their job. How do you just say, "Well, because they passed away, which is ultimately inevitable," you you can't get paid.
7: Yes, I mean obviously, and the people do when you do work and services. You there is a payment. There's a certain. Absorption of cost that is done by society, right? Yep. When when it comes to the thing, so Dave, if you were to expire, your spouse would could could accrue that debt. Right. Uh, it, could, it could be and it, so it could ruin you financially, and it could ruin your spouse financially. Yeah, but that would be where it dies, right? At, at that point, at which point society. Which already does absorb a lot of medical debt. One of the reasons we have huge medical bills in this country.
3: So so people who are married and their spouse dies are the ones who get penalized. But if that person is single when they die, they go after the estate and that's it. So that's Correct. odd to me. So this argument like they deserve to get paid. Yeah, but I mean if, you, if a single person comes into the hospital and they accrue all kinds of oncology bills and other – they've got nowhere to go anyway. So why is it – it's like a marriage penalty.
7: Well, that's almost exactly what it is. I spoke to a professor, a law professor at the University of Utah for a story I did on this several months ago um, when it happened to a person. And he basically – you know, it, taking all religious aspect out of it, the best thing you can do financially if your spouse is terminally ill is divorce them. I mean how awful does that oh sound, goodness. right? Oh, my Matt. Right? Matt, how you... awful does that sound? But that is financially – the solution to this is to not only divorce them but actually move out because there's still common law marriage if you're staying within the house to care for this person. The best thing you can do if somebody gets terminally ill financially is leave them. So you that have irreconcilable
3: wrong. differences um, and then se- separate out all of the all the assets or you know, divvy them up and then move in with your kid or Senator something like Pitcher that. Senator
7: Pitcher would argue there's a better way. Many states in this country have argued there's a better way. And that is for the debt to go with the person who accrued the debt, and then after that, for society to to absorb it. And I would like to mention m- many hospitals in the state of Utah, University of Utah comes to mind, have actual policies on their books. University of Utah Health, oh okay, they don't do this, right? If it, they they say right, they they have the the law allows them to do this, um, but they are big enough that they say no, no, no. We we don't think this is a good policy. We're not going to hmm. do it.
4: Do insurance companies what role do they play? Because a lot of times they'll pick up you know, a huge portion of these, mm-hmm. these
7: costs, what, what role do they play? I mean, it's like any time insurance is involved, they don't they pay their portion. They don't get the Super Bowl commercials because they're saving, you know, cause they're, they're spending money hand over fist always. Yeah. So, um, they're, you know, they, they pay what they have to sometimes, sometimes you have to fight to get them to pay what they have to. Uh, but there are often, especially when you're talking about somebody who's really sick and an ongoing illness. I mean, every time you go to, I think my, I've got middle of the rung healthcare here at KSL, and I think every time I go to a specialist, it costs me a hundred bucks. If I'm seeing seven specialists a week, I'm broke. Yeah,
4: Matt, this is this is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't thought about this. Uh, I guess that's probably part of the problem. Is it's something that's uncomfortable? We mm-hmm. don't want to think about it. We don't want to address it, so it just kind of happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, thankfully, we don't sit around all day long thinking about death. Um, so but That's why we have but, Matt. But, Matt can do that. Matt Matt, Matt take us down the dark recesses <laughs> of your mind. Exactly, Awesome report. Thanks for bringing this to light. Uh, it gives us something to think about.
0: A gun in the face.
1: Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today.
0: Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela.
1: They said...
0: You can binge all of the episodes of Hope and Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Out and prepare for. I'm also curious to know where this goes on Capitol Hill because like I said, I look at this and I'm like if you're single, you don't nobody gets penalized for with your medical bills, but if you're married, the surviving spouse gets gets penalized, potentially getting saddled with a big, 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 massive metal,
7: medical bill. Senator Pitcher thinks there's a better way. She'll, she says she'll do something next. It didn't get it out of committee this session. She says she'll try again next session. How much resistance did it mean? The medical community, quite a bit. The the not you know There were only a couple of lobbyists who spoke up, but they are powerful lobbyists.
3: Well, now that we've spoken about death. I want to talk about divorce next. <laughs> Holy smokes. <That's> a good <laughs> Thursday. Slide eight, Eve, baby. It's like I've got all of the D's lined up. <laughs> all right, straight ahead, Matt Gephardt. As always, thanks so much. You can thanks, see yes. his full report on KSLTV.com, which is KSL Television's website. It's where all their stories land, and you can also watch their newscasts as well. So since 1970... The marriage rate in the United States has declined. Oh, it has declined a ton. And some of that is because more and more women are declaring themselves, you know, separated or divorced. Uh, but there's a lot more to this story. We're going to have a family chat about it straight ahead.
4: More death, debt, and divorce on the Dave and Dujanovic show. It's just a bright, shiny, sunny day.
3: You're welcome. Dave
2: and Dujanovic.
3: Let's take a deep dive into the National Center for Family and Marriage Research Project about single women who don't want to get married. Since 1970, the research shows that the rate of marriage in the United States has declined by almost 60%. So let's work through the study details, and then Dave and I are going to have a family chat about why this is happening.
4: You tell me that the single ladies want to stay single? All the single ladies?
3: All the single ladies. All the single
4: ladies. I'll I'll be very transparent. Not a big surprise if you've ever listened to this show, but I'm very team marriage. Very team marriage. I'm all in.
3: Okay. So now that we've laid that groundwork down, um, you're going to have to defend marriage right now. You ready? (laughs) You're going to tell me why marriage is good, okay? Why it should work for more of a, a single ladies? So the marriage rate number, um, the number of marriages is the lowest that women are are deciding not to marry. at it, it, just a rate that's just been. I mean, it's just been declining since the '50s, but it is the lowest it's been in over a century. Let me break it down a little bit more. It was the highest ever. In the 1950s at approximately 65%. So 65% of women were married. Uh-huh. Who are, uh-huh. Okay. Who are like – they use the, the – this is what's interesting. the They start at age 15. So 15 okay. on up. So when they did the measurement in 1950, that's where it was at, 65%. And they today it's less than half of women. It's at 47%.
4: That surprises me. Mm-hmm. The less than half of women are married.
3: Yeah, who are who are in that age, you know, category to get married? And still, a lot of people still are still counting it at fifteen. Uh huh. Isn't that weird? That's odd. Awesome. I thought that was a little yeah. young. Yeah, <laughs> it's way young. Yeah. So I I don't even I just kind of like went oh that seems like a that seems way too young. Um, like I guess
4: if they have to randomly choose a number, yeah. there you go.
3: Um. There's also been, according to the study, a dramatic increase in the number of women who are separated or divorced. So if you look back to 1920, less than 1% of women were separated or divorced. Today, it's 15% of women, you know, if we're asked on an application or something for whatever, you know, when you go to the doctor's office, or you single, you know, um, 15% of us say we, we are either separated or divorced. So you have two things at work here. You have women who don't even want to get married in the first place. And then you have a group or of women. Or don't have the opportunity. Don't have the, yeah, don't have the opportunity to get married. Or women who are divorced or going through a divorce. Um, I think what this is showing us is that today's woman isn't marrying. Isn't marrying at the rate yesterday's woman was.
4: Okay, so
3: you and I are both on social media.
4: We watch a lot of TikTok. Oh wait, is TikTok banned here? We watch a lot of Instagram cool? Reels. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I have no, a hard time keeping track of media. them. We're on social media. Why do you uh, think it's happening? Okay, so have you ever heard of the 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 three sixes? No, is what women are looking for the three sixes. Oh, tell me what according I'm looking for. according to social media. Okay. <laughs> that's my the three sixes. Let's see if I can remember it all. Six figure salary. What? Six feet tall and a six pack.
3: What? I don't that's know, what. know. Like, just this is not even in my top ten.
4: <laughs> Which one do you get rid of? The six <laughs> <Just> another,
3: Yeah, <laughs> I want the dad bod. At my age, you kind of have no choice but to to don't worry about the six pack.
4: <laughs> okay, so that okay. that's kind of the so you the think women, cute answer. So
3: so why so why do you think if if you had to say from a guy's perspective why do you think more women either can't get married or don't have the opportunity to get, get married, don't want to get married? Or are just flat out single because they've gone through divorce? Why? Why? What's your take?
4: Okay. Well, let me just build it off of the, the three sixes. Okay. The six-figure income, the six feet tall, or the, and the six-pack, your standards are too high. And they're not too high by a little bit. They're too high by a lot. Do you know how many people actually qualify for the six-figure,
3: six-pack, and six feet tall? You keep going. This is going to be the Debbie show in the background. <laughs> In about two seconds.
4: One percent. One percent of guys qualify for the the, the even, three sixes. This is
3: so not i not even on. I, I don't have a checklist. That's great. Yeah, that's that, be, that's
4: helpful for your your perspective. Any, if dates. there's
3: anything on my yeah on my checklist, it's are you a nice person? You know, are you a genuinely nice person? I don't ask about salaries. I you know I don't care. I mean, if you say you have a job and you better have a job i mean don't don't lie to me about it but but yeah that kind of stuff just doesn't even hit my radar
4: don't have a criminal record
3: yeah that's a good one too yeah please please don't have done prison time um here's what i think and i had to write this out because i was getting so wound up thinking about this <laughs> i didn't want to, to come across as though i'm bitter cuz i'm not i'm in a good place Women have had to do battle with men to earn the right to have our own bank accounts, to have our own credit cards. That didn't happen until the 1960s. We had to do battle for equal opportunity in the workforce, equal pay for similar jobs, equal access to higher education. And a lot of the equal opportunity in the workforce was happening before my own eyes when I was younger and I was seeing only men, for example, anchor the news. And it was a big deal when they allowed a woman to sit next to a man on the anchor desk. So we also had a battle for equal access to higher educational opportunities. So we have fought to become a force of our own. And I think, from my experience, too many men are still stuck in the 1950s mentality then think that we need you to financially support us and give us things and provide a roof over our head. And in exchange, we're still going to make the meals and do the laundry. And it ain't like that anymore, men. It's not like that anymore. A lot of women are earning more than six figures of income. They have their own health care. They have bought their own home. They pay their own way through school. And so what are you bringing to the table that is going to enhance my life? And if it is a list of chores to do, no, thank you. That's my take. I think this is a man problem and women are no longer interested in getting hitched only to be the main laundry doer, the main meal maker, and the breadwinner. There. Is it just the D- Dave show now? <laughs> what do you think? No. How do you react no, to I, that? No,
4: I, I, I'm interested to see what your perspective is, right? I mean, I, I think a lot of us are, are trying to figure out you know, when we're looking for a spouse, when we're looking for a relationship, what kind of expectation do you have? And that's great. You know, there there are a lot of people that find a great deal of satisfaction in being a homemaker and doing the meals sure. and the laundry. Yeah. But for you, that's not. Right. So does that does that change uh, who is interested in you or who's um, you're interested in? Absolutely do it does.
3: Think, do you think a lot of people actually find satisfaction in doing the laundry? Well, we all do things we don't like to do, <laughs> right? But, sa- but, but when you're found- contributing. I've wanted to find satisfaction in doing the laundry because it never ends. But they're just eight zero one five seven five talk do you vote for team Dave? Wait, what's what's? <laughs> You're on married life. You're on married life, right? Didn't you say you <laughs> agree am, with married? I'm L-? team
4: marriage, yeah. I'm You're for sure team marriage. Sure right. team
3: marriage yeah. so, or I can buy some flowers. Are you on team Dave? If you want to get married? Team single. Team single. If you want to get married, you got to bring something other than hey. Bring home the bacon and make it too. Eight oh one five seven five talk. Eight oh one five seven five talk. I'm curious, to know if you anybody out there agrees with me. David I'm going to make you pitch the biggest benefit of being married in just a second. Um, we are talking about this recent study. It's been all over the national media that 60 percent. There's been a 60 percent decline in women getting married since the 50s. And if you are going to use, Dave, two-income household as a benefit of being, you can't because you could live together and have a two-income household.
4: Well, I, I guess you could make that argument just about on every one of my points, right? Companionship, children, all of that you could have, mm-hmm. you know, without getting married. Um, I, I do think when you are married, you have instant access to companionship, Right. You're like, yeah, you could live with somebody. There's also a commitment level to it. I see. When you are married, let's be honest, if you're having a bad day and you kind of hate each other that day, you know, which is fairly you're common. You're going to move
3: out. Well, You're not you, going to move out or break <laughs> up, right? Yeah. You're, like, you're not going to send the breakup text.
4: It's not easy yeah. because yeah. we know divorce is very difficult. Oh, yeah. It's very expensive, which is, I think, kind of a good thing in some ways because- Oh, okay. You don't easily okay. make that decision. If you're with somebody and, and you've made a life and you've made a commitment, you, it shouldn't be easy to just be like, after one fight, know that the, the string can mm-hmm. be cut so easily. Mm-hmm. I think the marriage, okay. the commitment, the inconvenience, the difficulty of, of breaking up, I think that adds a certain layer of, of intimacy and closeness and trust. That is invaluable.
3: Uh, I waited until I was 28, which now seems very young, uh, to get married. And I've been divorced. I'm going on, I think, six years, seven years. It'll be seven years uh, this summer. So I have 22 years of a committed and, mar- you know, marital relationship. We're married 21 years and single for about. Seventeen years, if you if you count, you know, moving out of mom and dad's house, right, until until I got married. So I, it's kind of neck and neck, and I, and I and I've laid out my case for why I think more women are not getting married, not interested in it, don't look for the opportunity to get married, don't have an opportunity to get married, um, or divorced. Whatever the case may be, more and more women are staying single, and it was in a nutshell, and we're going to get to your phone calls as well about this, but in a nutshell, it was, look, I mean, we have our own bank accounts now. We've been able to do that since, believe it or not, just the 1960s, bank accounts and credit cards. Um, you know, we can put a roof over our heads. Uh, we can buy our own flowers. <laughs> um, and it, you have to bring more to the relationship than, than uh, you know, 1950s, Hey, honey, when are you going to do the laundry, and when is dinner going to be on the table? And I think men, a lot of men, are struggling with that. So it can't just be, Hey, honey, I'm here. You want to you know, you know, want to get married? You have to bring a lot more to it, and that is you have to be a partner and not a 25% partner. It has to be 50-50.
4: Let's take phone calls. Mitch and Orem, team married or team single?
3: Um, I'm not exactly
11: sure. Where I fall, I guess I'm a little confused by the whole conversation. Oh. If, if fewer women are getting married, doesn't that mean, for the most part, fewer men Probably. are getting married, too? Yeah. Like, I yeah. I, I don't really know why we're talking about women specifically. I think well, this is what the study looked at. This is just, what
3: the study looked at was women.
11: Yeah. I just think culturally, marriage just doesn't make as much sense to people nowadays uh, in general. Not just women or men, but just in general. Right. Uh like, hey, let's go be with who I want to be with. And why do I need this document to say that I you know, am in a committed relationship sort of mentality?
3: Yeah, there do, does seem to be less benefits of marriage. Um, for example, if you can go out and get your own credit card and you can get, buy your own home and you don't need your, your husband to do that, which is what was happening many, many years ago, women could not obtain these things on their own. Wasn't legally possible. Yeah, but it wasn't it's been, it's
4: been a long time. Yeah, I mean, still, let's be honest, there's but we're generations. at a number
3: from the 50s where that hasn't to now, been and that's where the drop off is, was from the 50s to now.
4: Ashley in Layton. Ashley, what do you think?
3: So I am Team Deb and Team Dave. I'm
10: a little bit of both, but okay. I think I am a single lady. I have been single 42 years. I know why I'm single. I'm single because I'm headstrong, stuck in my ways, and my health is crap. That's why I'm single. Oh. But I have dated around the the uh, like young adult wards from the LBS church and things like that. And I agree with your previous caller. It's the men that have the commitment phobia, not the women. The men. Because every time you go into any type of place where there's single people, they just want to date. They don't want the commitment side of it. They just want somebody that they can have fun with and do what they want to do but they don't want any commitments there so that, yeah and so it gets really frustrating that but it's mostly the men yeah they're it, not looking the for if a you commitment
3: you go to the younger yeah if you go to thanks so much for your phone call i think you bring up an excellent point i mean if men men are the ones that are traditionally the ones who are asking and they're not asking then there you go
4: john in bluffdale john what do you think
3: With
8: Team Deb for this reason. I had the most wonderful marriage you could ever have. I lost my sweetheart to cancer in 2002. Our marriage was a partnership, not a dictatorship. We had a joint account. Women have the ability to see through things, situations, and people that men don't have a clue about. It's not about this satanic right-wing hell of woman submit. Marriage is a partnership, and I wish I had my honey back.
3: Aw, John, thank you so much. Virtual hug from uh, Broadcast House. Thanks so much for your input on that. David from West Valley City. All in on marriage or staying single?
4: Feminist sickness from the 1960s tricking women into hating men. And hating marriage, this is not natural or normal. It was created by the CIA, Gloria Okay, Steiner.
3: all right, here we go. Let's go on to, is it Caitlin from American Fork? Yep, I am team marriage.
4: <laughs> all right, why? Why are you all in?
6: Um, So I was listening a little bit earlier to kind of what you said, and I totally agree with the being married on paper um, just adds that much more commitment to the relationship and honestly I think marriage is an awesome thing you get to grow together as long as you know both parties are willing you grow together experience life together Mm -hmm. you know you struggle together I just love the idea of having that person with you you know what I mean
4: yeah and I I totally agree with you and that's been my experience I I understand you look at marriage though when you know, 45, 50% of marriages and in, in divorce, uh, and you have children, you've got custody battles, it's expensive. I I can see why, if you look at it objectively, you can see a lot of downsides to getting married. But I think the, the benefits of of having somebody and finding the right person yeah. and committing to them for decades. Do you think
3: there's commitment phobia? No doubt. Yeah.
4: Well, again, because oftentimes marriage, I think, there is a practical aspect of it, but I think there's also very much an emotional aspect. You want the emotional connection. You want that emotional commitment um, where you you vow and you promise to be together and you commit. Sometimes it doesn't work out. But, um, yeah, I, I tell you, I think the, the benefits, when, it, when it's good, uh, there's nothing like it.
3: Straight ahead, Boyd Matheson. Um, joining us to talk about an opinion piece that Dave spotted in the Washington Post on expanding Congress. More folks serving in Congress.
2: Dave and Dujanovic have inside sources.
3: Okay, you have a 1 in 15,000 chance of getting struck by lightning in your lifetime. Um, Your single representative in Congress represents more than 700,000 people. So my point here is you have a better chance of being struck by lightning (laughs) than bumping into Senator Mitt Romney on the street.
4: Well, it's a little different. It's even worse with... With the Senators. Well, that's <laughs> they, what I said, this Senator is for the, Romney. No, that's for, for the House of Representatives. Oh, I for, the, for House of Reps. Yeah. Okay.
3: So you will basically never bump into Representative Chris Stewart at City Creek Mall. That's how, like, rare, how rare it is because there's so many people that they represent. I think
4: that's probably shocking to a lot of people. Yeah. They probably don't realize that your congressional representative represents you and 734,000 of your closest friends.
5: So what did it used to be like? When we started, the ratio was, for every representative, 30,000 people. So think of that standard. It meant it was actually really possible to know your representative. They had to be directly accountable to the people.
3: And That's uh, Danielle Allen from Harvard University. She wrote an opinion piece in the Washington Post, and she
5: joined CNN. And I know it sounds crazy, but yes, a bigger house would help us a lot. The House was always supposed to grow with the population. That was supposed to give it flexibility, dynamism. So its dynamics could change as the population changes. The fact that it's been stuck for 100 years is partly why we have such a sort of rigid, frozen system. Um, I
4: wonder how many people, going back to your eighth grade civics class, knows how many members there are in the House of Representatives. Now, obviously, if I'm looking at Boyd Matheson, <laughs> that number 435 just, you know, <laughs> Flows off the tongue. But how many people realize that representing 320 million Americans right now, our representative government in the House of Representatives, it's 435 folks to represent all of us. Is that truly representative, Boyd, or do we need more people?
12: Well, it's, it's an interesting thing, and this is one of those that I, I like to stay curious about because I, I am one of those, and I think the founders strongly believe that the government that governs closest to the people governs best because there is that that dynamic relationship, that connection. Uh, I also think you have to look at things from a, an interesting perspective. So if we, go, if we go all the way back to when uh, the country began, 30,000 people per representative – uh, you also have to realize that those 30,000 people were really spread out over a vast area. And the only way you could get around is to walk or maybe if you had a horse. So were you more likely to run into your representative? Mm. Very few people in the country could actually read or write a letter to their member of Congress, where today in seven seconds, any one of us could find out where our representative is, what committee assignments they're meeting in today. And so there there is a component to this where we may actually be a little more connected than we think. The number is still huge yes. uh, when you look at seven hundred sixty thousand, uh, and so it's one of those that I I love to toy with this and play with this because on one hand, yeah, governing closest to the people is always best. That's why we love local government, uh, and I think we also have to keep in in mind the fact that we are a very interconnected society, and we also have to look at the cost. Imagine even if you just doubled it, Dave. If you if you doubled the size of Congress, which then would be one to three hundred sixty three thousand seven hundred twenty, uh, add Double the size of the budget in terms of congressional staff. Hmm. Where's that money coming from? Dave. Yep. <laughs> the answer and is you. Dave. And you. <laughs> and Debbie. And, uh, yeah. So it's a really interesting one to toy with.
3: Um, Boyd, so you worked back in Congress. In Cong- you worked for Senator Mike Lee. If I sent Senator Lee or – I don't, don't want to just necessarily talk about Senator Lee, but um, any member of Congress um, – My representative, my senator, if I send them an email, does that get a response? Yeah, absolutely. Is it it, it an automated response?
12: uh, Usually there will be an automated, depending on what the issue is, it will be, we got it. uh, We got it. We're looking this up. And then it will go to uh, from a, most likely an intern would, would intake it as an email would then go to the staff appropriate, so maybe it's a immigration issue, maybe it's a social security okay. issue, and then that would go forward to a committee or to, or to the senator. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I love, and many of our representatives do this, Senator Lee does it all the time, uh, and that is he will go to the phone bank where the interns are, where when constituents call, mm. that's who's answering the phone. And Senator Lee would spend hours there answering the phone. And it was always interesting because a lot of people wouldn't believe that it was Senator Lee answering the, first the phone. One to say no way. And some people, yeah. and some people would say, "Oh, well, of course he answered my call." <laughs> and so it was always a, my an interesting thing. issue.
3: is the most important but, issue. Yeah, yeah. but
12: I, but I think our representatives do nice. a pretty doggone good job okay. of of connecting and responding to those. Yeah. I'm
3: curious about that because if you have that many constituents, that is a lot of people to go door to door, and so if you can get if you can get a response via email. That does help.
12: Yeah, absolutely. And and can I just give a shout out to the congressional staff? Uh, we, especially in this state, from all of the offices, mm. we have some of the most extraordinary people who work untold hours to do everything from veterans' benefits to social security to immigration, uh, and they do a lot of the hard work and heavy lifting uh, that helps our representatives represent the people and, and help them solve problems.
4: I look at 435 members uh, in the House of Representatives, 100 senators, obviously. How does that compare to some of the other countries in in the world? And this is what Danielle Allen had to say.
5: The British Parliament is larger than we are. The German Bundestag is larger than our lower house. So lots of places around the world are already operating at a higher scale, even though their populations are so much smaller than ours.
4: So I looked at Britain. Because I was curious about British Parliament. They have 650 seats in British Parliament. They're a fifth of the size of the United States, and they are larger than us. So if they've figured out a way to make it work,
12: why, why can't we? And that's the question is, how's it working? Have you ever, have you ever really watched <laughs> British <chaos>. Parliament? <laughs> it it is, is chaos. It's a lot of chaos. Now, there are some interesting benefits, though, um, and that is that they often end up with a lot of coalition governing So you end up with not just two political parties, you end up with 77 political parties. And in some ways, that can be very good to bring all the voices to the table, which I think is a a critical thing that everybody wants. At the same time, it makes it very unwieldy in governing. And if you want to look at a good example of that right now, look at Israel. Uh, In the Knesset, you've got all of these different factions, and now you've got Bibi Netanyahu who had to, in order to have power to be the prime minister, he had to align with the farthest to the far right of coalitions that are now actually dismantling the judiciary system in Israel. Uh, And so there there can be some pluses for sure. Uh, And the thing that we have to make sure we're asking ourselves is what do we want out of it? Uh, It's not it's not what it is, it's what do we expect out of it. And if we want politics out of it, adding more will probably make it worse, not better. Uh, If we want to get to better governing Uh, then we need to look at a way of, do those voices add to it? Does it bring more people to the table? Uh, There are definitely some things that that we definitely need to explore.
4: I wonder if it was an end around to a a larger conversation of uh, more government, uh, larger House, larger Supreme Court, you know, when we're we're talking about packing the court. I, I, I wonder, at what point do you draw the line? Because I, I'm not sure representing 736,000 people mm-hmm. is that much different than representing 350,000 or 125.
12: Yeah, and then what's available to connect with them? What does connection actually mean? Uh, does it mean bumping into them on the street or in the tavern? Uh, does it mean being able to connect with them in an email or in a teletown hall that millions mm-hmm. can participate in that they never could do when there was only 30,000?
4: I, I've, We've talked to... Uh, Representative Curtis and Stewart and Blake Moore, it, they've all said this, when they hold town halls, it's always a disappointing turnout. Even though they have 750,000 people they represent and they get 20 people there, mm-hmm. well, we're not really participating ourselves, yeah. and, are that's,
12: we? and that's really indicative uh, because people are more interested in the politics than they are in the policy discussion, which is what those town halls usually get into. Now, the the digital town halls end up having higher participation.
3: Yeah, they live online, too. So I've gone back afterwards. I wasn't attending at the moment, but I've gone back and watched them. Boyd Matheson, thank you so much for jumping in studio. Look forward to your show today at 1 o'clock. Inside Sources. Straight ahead, Lindsay Ayers, our political reporter, with her eye on Utah's Capitol Hill, counting down the minutes until the closing bell of the 2023 legislative session tomorrow night at 1159 uh, we're going to ask her a couple of questions. Uh, the pregnant late women being able to use the HOV lane if they're the only one with the baby on board in the car. Uh, we're going to find out what happened with that piece of legislation. I heard all the optional all-day kindergarten bill uh, got through. We're going to ask her about that. And then there's new information on repealing the food tax.
2: Eye on the Hill 2023. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic.
3: Uh, Lindsay Airtz going to join us in just a moment. Uh, I, you know We're so close to the end of the legislative session. I feel the excitement and the buzz in the air. Uh, I'm kind of jealous that she gets to be up there because it is an exciting, uh, what are they at, about 24? No, a little more than that. But it, it the session closes tomorrow night at midnight. We will be up there live, not you and I, but Jeff Kaplan, Boyd Matheson reporting live from the Hill from 1 o'clock tomorrow on.
4: You say you're a little jealous? Yeah, a little. Because I, I can it's guarantee fun. you Lindsay Ertz would switch places no, with basically Linz, a cockroach at this point. Fun. After 44 yeah, days of chaos. It's a
3: long time, but I do remember it is a lot of, it's a lot of excitement uh, those last few hours. Uh, but let's back up and figure out where we're at with some pieces of legislation that Dave and I have uh, reported on and talked to you about, which is, and let's start with the HOV lane um, and pregnant women being allowed to use it even if they don't have any, anything other than the baby in the belly.
13: Yeah. I'm pretty sure this legislation died a few weeks ago. So we are not going to see this law uh, come to fruition this year. One of the main arguments is that it, it could impact federal funding that we get from, the U.S. government in terms of highway transportation money. And oh. so the federal government could come back and say, uh, we don't like this, that's not allowed. So that was one of the main sticking points to, um, yeah, for this law passing. But uh, the other piece of it is some people are just calling it a messaging bill. And um, it, it, it remains to be seen whether or not it is. But nonetheless, it's not going to move forward this year. Hmm.
4: Go figure. I, I never would have... Mark that on my bingo card, that the federal government would care whether or not we allow pregnant well, people.
3: Uh, just to just to, to add a final thought on that is my um, thought, if these troopers who are pulling people over for speeding in the HOV lane, which I totally advocate for because usually – those speeders are right on my back bumper and trying to knock me out of the HOV lane like we're in some sort of video super game. super passing lane, yeah. Yeah, I felt bad for them if, if they were to pull me over as an almost 56-year-old woman and I said, you know what, I'm pregnant. And then, and then it's like, they what, where are they going to go with that? So it gets troopers off the hook from having to... Oh yeah, ask that un- they're uncomfortable so happy. question. Uncomfortable and question. They are, so of, happy. are you really pregnant? Uh, let's talk about uh, the sales tax on food. I saw there's some new developments on that.
13: Yeah, so there has been some development um, in the last couple of days. First of all, taking off the food sales tax has been rolled into the big tax bill, the omnibus tax bill that's up on Capitol Hill if you call it that. Some people are calling that. But the bill removes the um, Removes the state portion of the sales tax on food if voters approve amending Utah's constitution to say income tax does not have to fund only education and a few other needs that it's required to fund right now. And education groups have not been supportive of this because they want their funding constitutionally protected, meaning not just that their funding is required to be funded in the Constitution, but that the Constitution requires what is funded and how much. Now, lawmakers have said that we don't put um, percentages in the Constitution. And I'm trying to figure out if that's just them saying that or if that's something that's really like against the law i don't
3: know is it it against the constitution to put percentages in the constitution i I don't know yeah there's a lot of things that need to be sorted through but the main thing is i guess the takeaway for me is don't expect that you know next summer when you're going to the grocery store for the sales tax on food to be repealed it's going to be there for a while until this other issue is worked through
13: Yeah, so the state portion of the sales tax on food won't come off until all of this potentially happens. So voters would have to approve this in 2024 and then the state portion of the sales tax on food would come off in 2025. Now, just one new piece that I'll be reporting on today, you guys, is that there is new language in this bill to get rid of the earmark for education. And this new language, it has yet to be adopted by lawmakers, but it is proposing that The Constitution has to require that in law, lawmakers have to fund education and adjust it for inflation and enrollment growth and all those things. But one member of the State Board of Education is telling me that the current language does not protect the money constitutionally because laws are subject to change every year and legislature, the legislature, and that could also Mm -hmm. affect how much they get. So uh, this member of the State Board of Education that I spoke with, um, she just wants that funding Protected in the Constitution and this language right now, at least on its face value, does not appear to do that. So she is one member of the State Board of Education who's opposed to this. There are many other stakeholders involved, and the State Board as a whole may have a different position than her, but it's clear yeah. that edu- not all education members are on board with what this new language says.
4: Lindsay Ertz is the KSL News Radio political reporter. Uh, and as you finish up the final day, and I guess this is the penultimate day. Uh, let's talk about all day kindergarten. Where did that land?
13: Yeah, so all day kindergarten has passed the legislature; just needs a um, signature by the governor. It's likely that that will come. We haven't heard any indications that he's going to uh, oppose that or or potentially veto that. There's funding in the in the state budget for the program, and. One thing that I think just needs to be cleared up is that um, some districts, some school districts are ready and rip-roaring to go with all day kindergarten. They have space, they have the teachers, they have staff, they're ready to go. They want full day kindergarten. Others, it may take them some time to get set up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a mom right now and you have a kindergartner going in the fall, you're thinking, well, can I send her? Can I not? Do I need to find yeah. childcare? So we are doing some reporting behind the scenes to try to figure out exactly exactly Who will have all day kindergarten available in the fall? Some districts will, but others may not. So it's just going to depend on where you live and uh, whether or not your program's ready to go.
3: Important to note for people who aren't totally familiar with this piece of legislation that it is optional. In fact, kindergarten itself is optional, but a lot of parents, probably most parents, opt their child in, and that right now generally is um, half day. But now they have this option to do full day once the governor signs this legislation and once their school gets the their full day kindergarten program up and running.
13: Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's more details to find out about exactly which districts do what yeah. and who's going to offer it and who's not. So all of that will hopefully come out with the education districts over the summer. You know, we have some time still, but but parents right now, I mean, I, I have a a. a a preschooler who is going to be in kindergarten another year, but you're asking, you have to either apply for your yeah. preschool right now or send them, like you have to apply in like February. That's for a good preschool point. Or you lose your spot. So you need to know whether your kindergartner can go to all day kindergarten. That's going to determine your childcare.
4: Wow. I hadn't even thought about that. Liz, uh, Lindsay.
3: Thank what, you. Good job. Um, look forward to your reports throughout the day here. Um, I'll be tuning in as I always do, not only the Boyd's show, but also to Jeff Kaplan's um afternoon news Maria Chaleos is joining us next I know she's got more coverage coming from Utah's Capitol Hill and the, the all day kindergarten option is intriguing and does it potentially get some parents excited about the idea of being able to get their child out of daycare which they're probably paying a lot of money and into an all day option but then they find out that their school can't offer it yet or or isn't in a spot to offer it yet.
4: There, there's a lot of things that are going to have to happen. Number one, schools are going to have to have the space, the rooms, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're going to essentially double its size, because you have an afternoon and a morning kindergarten, you'd yeah. have to double the classroom size. You'll have to be able to hire enough kindergarten teachers. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so- Let's make sure we have enough rooms, have enough teachers. Oh yeah, and that's across the entire state. I think this is going to be pretty, pretty tough to implement. Certainly by next year.
3: Uh, the legislation that we didn't get a chance to talk to Lynn about has. Uh, we want to talk about next with KSL at night host Taylor Morgan. It has to do with restrictions on social media, age limitations on on who can sign up and who has parental permission. Uh, we're going to get him on the line next because he's been tracking that legislation for us. And also, there's a, been a big announcement from TikTok about a time limit on their apps for kids. That, I'll give you the time limit uh, when we return in about... Eye on the
2: Hill 2023. Special coverage with David Jenevich.
3: PSL at Night host Taylor Morgan um, going to be talking to us in just a moment about what is happening... With Utah lawmakers and their push to regulate social media, and apply some age restrictions under Utah law to it. But I did see this, Dave. TikTok is taking steps of their own, introducing a new daily time limit for kiddos under the age of 18. How much time do they get? What's reasonable? What's the, don't, don't what's look. the number? Don't cheat. What do you think is reasonable for your own kids? 30 minutes? 60 minutes is the time limit. So it doesn't quite hit the uh, Dad Dave mark. Yeah. 60 minutes will be the time limit. So if you are under the age of 18 and you want to continue using the app after your 60 minutes is up, when they say, time's up, you have to enter a passcode. I, I hope that passcode is issued by the parents.
4: Oh, of course. Right. All my kids have passcodes. Okay. In fact... Some of the adult kids still have passcodes just because we've forgotten to turn them off. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's interesting that we're looking for TikTok or government to step in and do this. This is all at our fingertips right now with your smartphones. If you're a parent, you absolutely can already set these restrictions in. Why do we need government to step in and do it? <laughs>
3: Taylor Why do we need Morgan, TikTok to do cancel, it? Cancel. Nice host. You were in for Dave on Tuesday of this week, and you said the exact same thing. It is like the two of you are looking in the mirror at each other.
11: That's exactly right, Debbie. Dave, I am – look, we are together on this. <laughs> you can already set limits on your phone. And, and here's the thing. parent. why are you giving your 13-year-old access to to TikTok anyway. That's the first question, okay? But I want to back up a step because that passcode for TikTok users under 18, uh, that's not a parental guardian passcode. No. That's a passcode that the TikTok user between the ages uh, of, uh, you know, 18 and 14, that they can create that themselves. Okay. There is a different <laughs> passcode, right? Yeah, come on. Because TikTok says that passcode, the purpose is, quote, for users to make an active decision to extend their time. Okay, so if you're 14, 15, 16, 17, you just type in your own passcode
3: after an hour and you're good to go. Then I don't even know why why we're having this discussion. I mean, really, I, I don't have young kids anymore, Taylor, and you do. So you and Dave both do. So you probably know. Full well, how all of that stuff works, uh, I think I could yeah, absolutely yeah. use a time limit on TikTok on my own account for sure. You and I need it <laughs> probably more than our kids. So bring us up to speed on what Utah lawmakers are doing, have done, haven't been able to do when it comes to that big push they came out with out of the gates of this legislative session, which was to regulate um, parental involvement, essentially, or parental approval on social on social media accounts for for kids
11: well the utah legislature has officially decided that utah parents are not capable of managing their kids social media use by themselves (laughs) Uh, two measures have now officially passed the utah legislature and will go to governor spencer cox's desk to be signed Uh, those measures one Uh, will officially require age verification for all Utah social media accounts, new accounts, uh, beginning in March of 2024, right? It will require that before you can open a new account, you have to provide verification of your age to the social media service. The other measure will essentially establish uh, a section in Utah law that will make it possible for Utah parents to sue social media companies for harming the mental health of their children. Okay.
4: <laughs> this is kind of incredible. Okay. One of the, one of the excuses I've, I've heard, and I think there, there's some validity to this, that if you ban it basically for all kids under 16, then your kid is not the loner. The lone child in the group that is not using Snapchat or not using Instagram, uh, that everyone's kind kind of playing by the same rules. I think that is an argument that, that resonated with me a little bit because I remember having this specific conversation with my teenage daughter. like for the love, will you stop chatting on Snapchat? I can't monitor it, and I know you know I can't monitor it.
3: Because it's all disappearing. Because
4: it's all instant disappear, Uh right? So I'm like, just send a text, and she's like, Dad, I'm the only one that would do that. Everybody else uses Snapchat. So I eventually just conceded and allowed her to use Snapchat because I didn't want her to be the lone pariah. Now, you know, Dave, you
11: know what? My... Another concern I have here is no one is looking out for the husbands of uh, Draper moms on TikTok. I have 25 Stanley mugs in my cupboard at home, Dave. I don't know how much that has cost me, but if we're going to go this far and wide with government regulation into social media, someone has got to look out. For all these Stanley mugs being sold uh, to moms across Utah. So
3: what you're saying is that this piece of legislation is ridiculous in your view. It's overstepping. Well, If they're going to regulate that, they might as well regulate how many Stanley mugs can be brought into your home.
11: Exactly right, Debbie. I think Utah parents are more than capable of keeping their kids safe on social media. No one is arguing here that social media is bad for kids. My argument is that we don't need government that do parents' jobs for them.
4: It kind of absolves parents, I think, too, of the responsibility of doing this themselves. Do, doing the hard parenting thing, which is, is what oh, I probably sure. should have done and said, you know what? Delete Snapchat. I'm banning Snapchat. You cannot have it. I'm just dropping the hammer because I'm going to be the mean dad.
11: You gotta say no, Dave. You gotta say no. Which is when
3: you were on the show with me, and I'm trying to get to that when we were uh, on the show together earlier this week, and I'm opening it right now. Um, Pink, Pink actually did this with her with her own kids. Uh, the singer Pink, and now I can't find that audio. Um, but that was that's what you said was what every parent should be doing. Is here it is. She does not allow her daughter on social media.
10: Me, my kids don't have a phone, and my daughter's the only 11 year old in her
5: class that doesn't
3: have one. Wow! And I'm actually gonna play this back for my son. But I was, go back. Okay, go ahead. Lo- we well, yeah. about. Right, here. it's hard. A lot of yeah. my
10: friends, you know, they they have their kids on TikTok, and and I don't. And you know, I told Willow, I said that doesn't just does move my needle. They're not my kids. You're my kid. And
3: so there's pink. Uh, you know, obviously world-renowned singer with telling you know she's, she's parenting her kids. she's the mom boss. Yeah. I have
11: a 12 year old son, uh, Dave and Debbie, and he just got his very first phone. Uh, he got the grades. had we had a deal. he got the phone, but he absolutely does not have social media and that is something that we monitor very closely. Uh, we control that phone, we check it daily. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes involvement, and we're not perfect. We will have to learn along the way, uh, but it is our job as parents to keep our kids safe on his uh, online and away from social media.
4: Wrong. It's the government's job, Taylor. He didn't get the memo?
3: <laughs> taylor, i
4: the memo dave i just disagree with it
3: <laughs> taylor morgan ksl at night host also a lobbyist on capitol hill uh taylor real quick you're you don't have any hand in this in this issue right is he still there
11: uh no i am not connected on okay, this issue in any lobby. way other than personally and,
3: and personally as as a dad as a dad boss thank you so much taylor morgan looking forward to hearing you on ksl at night it is our it's not our new show anymore, but it's relatively new compared to like how many ages and decades you and I have been together doing yeah.
4: this show like all for so time. long. No, they, I think he. It's very easy to agree with Taylor when he agrees with me. So I, I think he made some very good points, which just happen to mirror all of my points as well. But it's hard to be a, a parent. You want to have a good relationship with your kid, obviously but sometimes you have to be the bad guy. And sometimes you have to say, you know what? Social media is garbage. It's bad for you. It's bad for you. there's very little benefit for you or zero benefit in, in most cases. So, you know what? You're not going to have it. Just like we don't send you to R-rated movies. You're not it's just not appropriate for you.
3: <laughs> I love all of that. You should be writing that down and reciting that tonight at dinner. In front of your children. Then you need to come back on Monday and let us know how that conversation went. Uh, Straight ahead. Okay, so, so far we've talked about um, medical debt, death marriage being on the decline so we're going to pick up the pace death debt divorce the yeah, next
8: to this thing we're going to talk Sh- about
4: are we are we seriously talking about pickleball yeah. please tell me we're talking we're about, talking pickleball. about pickleball. pickleball this is the best friday ever it's thursday it's our friday though <laughs> but this here's so what
3: we're going to talk about yeah, you to all you middle-aged men who are playing pickleball I Bet you didn't know there was a pickleball song. Cause you go find us on the pickleball court. Yeah, let me introduce you to this thing called pickleball. Well, this is a massively wildly popular sport. It's growing in popularity and it is also causing a growing amount of owies.
4: Uh they're not owies, Deb. These are real deal injuries. Like, E-R. This is not baby stuff. This is, like, broken
3: bones. Okay, According to Pickleheads.com, do you know about that? There's a website called Pickleheads.com, along with a song.
4: The yeah, me...
3: um, there are about 36 and a half million pickleball players in the United States.
4: I think they all live in Kaysville.
3: And, and this is just all within the last year, because in, like, 2020, we... It wasn't even a thing, right? Now all of a sudden there these courts are everywhere. I think they're ripping out basketball courts to put down pickleball courts. Tennis I, Yes, especially. It. That's my Yeah, that's, that's your that's sport. That's my jam. That's my yeah,
4: jam. No, if you if there's a tennis court in your neighborhood, three two one demolition, that's gonna be a pickleball by Friday.
3: It is the fastest growing sport uh in America, if you can call it that. It seems like It seems like glorified ping pong. Um, It is. Eighteen to thirty four year old. It is the largest bracket, like age bracket of pickleball players. Yeah, young kids. You are you are outside the (laughs) the young kids, the age bracket, but you are a you're big time pickleballer.
4: Yeah. You wanna you wanna know what my schedule is? Today, nine to eleven. PM? PM. Oh. Nine to eleven. Tomorrow three to five. Saturday noon to 2 and then Tuesday 8 to 10. Are
3: you in a tournament?
4: No. This is I could show you my phone right now, Debbie, and I guarantee five of the last
3: six texts are pickleball related. Is that what's been going on over here there? I'm trying to work. Hey, pickleballers, Nerds. knock it off. We've got we've got a job to do here. Stop pinging Dave on his cell phone. He'll be with you in about 6 minutes. Okay. But so- Monday
4: is free by the way if anyone's looking to play. <laughs> my Monday is free.
3: Okay. So pickleball is like kind of a cross between ping pong and maybe a step down from tennis yeah. on a smaller court with paddles or something like that. Not it's quite racquetball. Yeah. Okay. And it is, like I said, growing in popularity. Also injuries. Let's talk about these injuries. I have a feeling that a lot of this has to do with it's an older person sport and you're just not quite as agile as you were 30 years ago.
4: Yeah. the that- The thing about pickleball, it's a lot of start, stop, move up, retreat, backpedal kind of stuff. So,
3: say no more. Backpedal. Yeah. You fall over backwards and and crack your wrist.
4: Exactly what happens. You start (laughs) backpedaling. You know, my size 15s don't (laughs) lift up like they used to. Not quite as light and fleet of foot as as I remember.
3: you come into the work limping, and I always, and true. I always pointed out. You think you hide it, and the minute you round the corner from the newsroom, I'm like, "God, the limp is back. What's going on? Do you play church ball?" And he said, "No, it's like pickleball. Is this why you're limping? Yeah. You you can't hide that limp."
4: That I I feel like I can hide it, but mm-hmm. apparently not.
3: Uh, so it's 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 ankle injuries. It's potential for wrist injuries. Uh, What about, have you ripped apart your ACL doing this yet? No. Okay. No, no, no. (laughs) You probably probably wouldn't be here. No ligament (laughs) damage
4: yet. I'm sure it's just a matter of time. Part of what makes pickleball so great is because you you mentioned the biggest growth is the 18 to 34 group. But really, if you go to any pickleball uh, plaza, courts, you will see a lot of people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s playing. Uh, which is part of the allure and the love of pickleball. Like
3: Joanne Archer, she's seventy-four.
6: Anybody, any age—that's the beauty
5: of pickleball.
4: Let me get. Let me give you an example. Uh, my mom is seventy-seven years old. We play pickleball all the time. Seventy-seven years old, and this is not like—I'm just
3: blown away by the fact that your mom is seventy-seven. She looks all of about fifty-seven. But yeah. go ahead. Okay. Wow. Jeez. She does. Deb, yeah.
4: Now my mom's gonna like you more than she likes me on this that's show. How it should go? Now she's team Debbie. My mom is team <laughs> Debbie now. This is the but, worst. But
3: she, but and do you? Oh, do you but play? We, do you no. play pickleball light with mom?
4: Okay, that that's what is so interesting about this is I can play competitively. This isn't me doing service. This isn't me like come on, mom. Let's you know. Let's go do something that I have to kind of grind my way through because it's not fun for me. No. This is a sport yeah, that cool. that can be fun for all ages, um, all skill levels. There are people that are in their that are in their sixties and seventies that are far better than me, Debbie. Mm-hmm. How many sports can you say that about? Where a sixty or a seventy year old can be better than a forty year old?
3: I'll be fifty six uh, in a few weeks, and you are ten years younger than me. About right, a yeah. little longer. Um, I totally could whoop you. Is that the word? Whoop you yeah. at tennis. <laughs> <laughs> tennis, for sure. I don't know how i do a pickleball. You'd, um, you, would,
4: you would fall in love this spring. I, you we'll told play. me that a few times. You would, said, Debbie, you'll be addicted. Grab
3: Katie Cat oh, yeah. bring her up with me and my daughter. Okay. Uh, here's some other popular sports injuries. That's why I asked you about an ACL tear among adults. These are the, the most common adult sports injuries. ACL tear. Uh, shin splints. I don't think I've ever had those. I think this is probably more for runners. And then tennis elbow. Interesting twist in that. I played tennis, never had tennis elbow. Uh, Did a move at the gym about a year and a half ago, and I felt like my elbow was going to fall off. I couldn't even make the bed. It hurt so badly. Then I had to rest it for a few weeks, and I'm better now. So you swear by pickleball. Yes.
4: Yeah, it's the greatest sport. You can play it the longest. You can start playing uh, it. Eight years old. You can play till you're 88 years old. I don't know of any other sport out there that is so forgiving, uh, that is so easy to play, but it can also be extremely competitive if you really want to itch that or scratch that. uh, (laughs) Okay, itch that scratch, scratch that
3: itch, and it also it can cause injuries. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're skyrocketing. I'm getting hurt. About four minutes. I'm curious about this one. Come. This is a way. Diabetes. Stick around.
4: It's a legal analyst. Thank you. A
0: stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence.